This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. 25 uh, minutes after 10. So here is a story that some of you might remember. In December 2019, two medical practitioners were arrested handcuffed and charged with a culpable homicide. This was related to a severe complication of medical care that resulted in the death of a child. The warrants of arrests were issued prior to the initiation of any inquiry or inquest by either the Health Professionals Council of South Africa or the Department of Public Prosecutions. At the time, the medical fraternity, and in particular the above-mentioned representative societies, expressed serious concerns about the implications of these actions on all healthcare practitioners in the national healthcare system. And, you know, the the, the sad story is that, uh, you know, one of the medical practitioners as well, who was... uh, who was, uh, you know, who, 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 whom, uh, you know, was facing some sort of uh, scrutiny, legal scrutiny as well, also um, was murdered. And this happened uh, just a, a few weeks ago, uh, last week, uh, I think in particular, uh, Dr. Abdu, uh, Abdullahi Munsi, who's a very respected and dedicated colleague, according to his murdered, uh, his uh, colleagues was uh, was murdered, and learning of the murder of a much admired and respected colleague uh, also pushed the healthcare workforce uh, to breaking point, as they say, following on the assault and attack on a number of healthcare workers by the public and families of patients over the past year. The uh, healthcare workers uh, insist on action and response, uh, as per the. Uh, uh, 2020, 2020, which uh, they submitted on the 18th of March. And, um, you know, there, there is speculation about uh, who murdered uh, Dr. Munshi. But, uh, you know, this is something that we want to talk about, you know. Um, healthcare workers calling for accountability and action and also what constitutes culpable homicide uh, as well. We start off with the uh, South African Society of uh, uh, Anesthesiologists. Uh, President is Dr. Lance Laserhorn. Uh, doc, good evening to you. I know I uh, I, I, I mutilated uh, what you guys do there. <laughs> South African Society of, is it Anesthesiologists? South African Society of Anesthesiologists. Ah, Anesthesiologists. You, you can just say saucer, it's <laughs> easier. <laughs> Anesthesiologist. Uh, and you can call me Lance. Uh, Lance, I, I got it. Thank, thank you so much. Please just give us a sense of what's going on here in as far as uh, the story of these medical practitioners is concerned. You know, it's, it's not a nice uh, sight to see, you know, highly uh, skilled and educated people in the health sector as well being arrested, handcuffed and charged with culpable homicide. Just give us so a sense of what happened. Thanks. Um, I think we have to take a step back and, and recognize a few issues. Um, we've got, uh, there's lots of reasons why this might have all happened, and I think we can interrogate that in the next half an hour. But really, we have to acknowledge that uh, patient complications happen, 
and I think we should go through this this process uh, in the show just to explain that. And there may be instances in anywhere in the world where a doctor or a health worker needs to be criminally prosecuted. So I think because one of the 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 issues, I guess, with the public, and, and it's fair to say, is that they'll say, well, why are doctors or health workers above the law? The fact is we're not above the law, um, and we shouldn't be above the law. But what is important to appreciate is that medicine is a very unique undertaking as a profession. Mm. It's unique because in order to heal people, in many instances, and particularly in, in relation to surgery, anesthesia is what I do, I'm administering lethal drugs in the wrong dose to put patients into a particular state. Mm. I have to look after them. And then a surgeon will pick up a knife and they will cut that person, potentially open, and they will do things to heal the patient from, from injury or, or disease. Mm. And that, that in itself is very unique because to, once you're doing that, you're really doing assault with consent. And then it means that we have to look at these things with a different lens. And, and why it's important is because patients are very complex things. Okay, so we're all human. I think that's also important to understand that patients are human, doctors are human. If you take um, a, a, a motor vehicle manufacturing plant hmm. and robots put the cars together all in the same way, we both know that even though all the parts are the same and the process is exactly the same throughout, you still might get a car that doesn't work. Now, humans are not cars and trivial machines. They are very complex. We've got different genetics. We behave differently in, in relation to drugs and when we have operations. And so that's why doctors have to go, undergo a lot of training so that we can deal with very different responses to what we do. But then it can happen that we have complications, and complications do not necessarily imply negligence. There can be negligence, but complications happen just like a car that comes off a manufacturing plant doesn't work properly. It may not be due to negligence. It may just have been something that happened, the same as airplane accidents. Mm. So I think what, what our, if we get back to why have we issued memoranda. So we issued memoranda in March to the Health Professions Council of South Africa, to, um, to the Minister of Justice and the, the, the Director of Public Prosecutions, to the hospital groups under the Hospital Association of South Africa, and to the Minister of Health. And what we were calling for in, 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 in summary mm. was we, we need, as the public and the professions, for our regulators to work and for the, 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 the justice system to work appropriately. And what that means is that before any health worker or doctor would be charged with a criminal sanction, so in other words, we're taking you to court mm. criminally, mm. there should be an inquiry, which is already in law, in, enabled in law, through the Health Professions Council of South Africa, and it needs to happen quickly. And at the moment, we don't see that happening. And so I... Uh, we have to understand why we get to these places. And one of the reasons is that it doesn't happen timelessly so that families and patients can get good, relatively quick answers. Mm. And the second is to enable, if that doesn't work, let's say the HPCSA doesn't have an inquiry, that the Depart Department of Public Prosecutions can institute an inquest. That's in law. It's, it's the Inquest Act. 
And, and that's important to understand because, for example, the National Prosecuting Authority has come out now and said, we, you don't need to hold, hold an inquest if you go to criminal court. Now, the fact is, the Inquest Act is very specific. If you start criminal proceedings as the NPA, mm. the inquest stops. Mm. So, in fact, it's almost like the cart before the horse. And why is it important to not go to court before you've done the investigation through an inquiry? So when you do an inquest or an inquiry, it's almost like a court. The doctors are called, whoever's charged or whoever is thought to be, uh, have had a, a complication that may be negligence. Mm. And I can define negligence if you want, or culpable homicide. But it's almost like a court. So they get all the experts, but there's not necessarily sides. It's like Lance gets called to an inquest. He gives what, all, the account of what happened. All the evidence is presented before a magistrate. And the magistrate at the end will decide, with all the evidence presented, whether this should be referred to the National Prosecuting Authority. And the beauty of that is the patient or their family gets full, it's a public uh, event, and they get full insight into what's happened and all the explanations before it goes to a criminal court. Now, when you go to criminal court, you've got sides. You've got the prosecution and the defense. And we know in many criminal trials around the world how the law can be used in ways to either get people off or to convict them or whatever it is. And I don't think that that brings good closure to families. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whew. It, it, it sounds like a very complicated thing that you guys are dealing with. So I think it is complicated. Um, you know, the, the problem also comes in for, for the public mm. and for the professions, in fact, is, is what is negligence. Mm. So if we look at culpable homicide, it, that will be defined as negligence on the part of an individual which results in the unlawful killing of a human being. And it's different from murder because murder is also intentional. Mm. So we have to then say, well, what's negligence? And now the problem is that negligence has different degrees. So you can get slight negligence where, for example, you've got a very sick patient and you do something very small and that patient has a bad outcome. Mm. Um, But that is still what we call slight negligence. Gross negligence would be more severe uh, lack of care, but it's not disregarding the law. And then reckless negligence is a willful disregard for the safety of others. So, for example, I go to work drunk, then I would be recklessly negligent. I shouldn't be giving anesthesia or treating patients if I'm drunk. And then in other um, territories, they will define negligence as different things. They call them mistakes, which is an error in planning or uh, an action, slips or slip-ups which is failures in execution of the action, technical errors, and then violations. So violations are deliberate deviations from safe practice, and that would be more like reckless negligence. So really, you know, I think to maybe make it clear, what we're asking for here is not to change the law. We're not saying don't prosecute doctors that are are guilty of reckless negligence or, Mm. or violations. We're saying that what needs to happen is a proper investigation for patients and for the profession. Timeless, comprehensive, so answers are, are, are had, and that can then be referred on if necessary. Because also remember, if a doctor doesn't get referred to criminal court or a health profession, a health worker, it doesn't mean that nothing happens. The Health Professions Council has a mandate, and, and they have particular authority over yeah. me as a health professional, and they could say, Lance, you can't practice anymore. 
So there's the yeah. end of my career. Awesome. They could say, Lance, uh, we're suspending you for three months so that you can go get retrained. Yeah. Now, just remember that someone like me, I'm a super specialist. I'm a, I'm a GP first, and then I became an anesthesiologist, and then I became an intensive care physician. So that took from start to finish, with some time, uh, one or two years working in, in medicine, 17 years. So it would be quite a, a loss to a country that has a very small health workforce to be just taking people out of circulation if you could train them in a particular way and if they're not guilty of guilt, just being reckless. Tell you what, I've got uh, Professor Martin Brand as well from the Perfect. Federation of South African Surgeons uh, joining us as well. Uh, Prof, uh, good evening to you. How are you? Hi, good evening. Kavisa. You, you've been listening uh, to Lance uh, very patiently as well. Must be a complicated situation, this uh, that we are talking about. How are you uh, dealing with it uh, from the from your side as the Federation of South African Surgeons? Yeah, I mean, we're working very closely together with SASA, um, and it's really, I think there's a few prongs to our, our, our approach, but the first one is really to, to let the public know what actually the processes are currently and what they should be and what the impact is of what is actually going on in the country at the moment where healthcare professionals can actually be treated as a common criminal. Uh, because the, the real consequences of that is going to be that healthcare professionals are going to work within themselves and become very conservative or even start practicing doing medicine because uh, at the end of the day they're going to start looking after themselves for their own interests where they won't really have the trust in their patients anymore. And that's really an untenable situation for us and really the huge risk for healthcare practice in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's really where we're trying to head towards it and that's what we're trying to bring out into the open is Yes, we know that there are bad eggs out there and they need to be dealt with, but they need to be dealt with in the correct manner. And the vast majority of uh, complications that occur, and unfortunately some of those complications are deaths, um, are not due to necessarily negligence. And those kind of processes will be picked up in inquiries in those kind of formats, which unfortunately at the moment in the country um, aren't really very functional. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 Professor Brand, I mean, to what extent has this uh, situation, particularly with the two medical practitioners, one already late, to, to what extent has this shaken, you know, um, your, your colleagues uh, to a large extent in terms of them trying to do their work? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's had a massive impact if we look at it. I mean, we now have clinicians who, for example, it's on, on the surgical side, if you have to take consent for a patient and inform them this is the kind of surgery that you require for your condition that you have, you now have that healthcare protection and no longer actually worrying about the actual surgical procedure. It's actually having trust in the patient and understanding mm. that, yes, something may go wrong, even though I'm doing the best of my ability, um, as Lance was explaining, humans are not robots. Physiology is different, genetics is different, and things do unfortunately go wrong. And that's why procedures have morbidity and mortality rates. And now you're going to have clinicians who, after explaining that, will actually consider whether or not they should actually be doing that procedure for the patient, because that patient may turn around if something goes wrong and institute a criminal action against them, and they may then be also handcuffed and put in the back of a, of a police van and taken off to jail. Uh, and so that's one of the main consequences, which is quite alarming. Yeah, so so the, 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 it might just be the same situation for yourselves as well, Lance. That this is you know pe- people being disturbed, getting confused, being afraid to do their jobs without the necessary confidence. So 
You know, the, the, the fact is, um, as Martin has said as well, um, you know, I, I've got a patient tomorrow, for example. It's a 1.2-kilogram baby that needs urgent surgery. And, and the fact is, if, you know, that the, the risk of the procedure, and particularly the anesthetic, is very high. And many of my colleagues would say they're not interested in doing that kind of mm. procedure because of the risks. But there is that real risk. And I'd like to share a quick story of a patient that I did and just to highlight how, how things could go bad is that I had a patient coming for a dental procedure. They were around 45 years old. This was a few years ago, maybe one or two years ago. And they had no other sickness that alarmed me at all. Their only positive history was a smoking history. Now, mm. obviously, we know that smoking can cause heart disease, for example, but even, you know, at the age of 45 with no other symptoms on history, we don't expect any trouble. The patient had an uneventful anesthetic. I took the patient to the recovery room where we wake, we make sure the patients are fully awake. While he was in the recovery room and I was just standing by his bed, he changed color, he dropped his blood pressure dramatically almost mm. to zero. Mm. I had to resuscitate him. I diagnosed that he had a, a heart attack, literally. And we had to transport him in an ambulance. Uh, with, I had to go with him. We put, there was a whole long story about his resuscitation and infusions to keep him alive. We took him, we, we, we took him to a cardiac suite. We opened up his coronary artery with a stent. He went to ICU and he went home a few days later. Now, if that patient had, gone, had not had his heart attack in front of me, he would have been discharged from the recovery room and gone to the ward. If he then died in the ward the default position would be there must have been a problem with anesthetic. Mm. And then the question would have been, should I be arrested? Mm. Should I be charged for culpable homicide? And the only way to really find out would be to have an inquiry or an inquest in that case. He, he would have a post-mortem. They would, try, they would obviously then see that he had a heart attack and all the notes would come out and all the experts would be there and say whether or not I was responsible for, for the death and whether I breached my duty of care. Mm. And so I think what I'm trying to illustrate here is that we deal with very complex situations. We're doing lots of things to a human being that, that by rights, 100 years ago, we couldn't do. Um, and I think this is the problem. And if we can't practice medicine, um, knowing that there are fail-safes to make sure that when we progress to prosecution, um, we're going for the right reasons, which actually exists in every, almost every territory uh, where there's, a, for example, national health services. Um, we have meetings as a society with the, 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 the societies of anesthesia uh, in the United States, United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada. And all of those territories have their policies, because we've also got the laws, actually. It's just our policies been, not been particularly good, I guess, mm. uh, but they also have working regulators that are efficient. But all of those territories have really rules, let's call them, in place that this wouldn't happen, what we've seen in South Africa at the moment. Nina, you've been holding for quite a while. Good evening. Hi, good evening to you and your guests. This is fascinating to me, so I've got two questions. Mm. I know we're talking to medical people, so they're obviously going to have a specific orientation. Mm. But from their perspective, the first one is, do we really have 
a match between our bureaucracy, in other words, our administrative capacity to deal with these problems and any kind of legislation, or in fact, is it a hopeless task because we simply don't have, you know, sufficient whatever, I mm. mean, sort of um, people involved in the process. The second thing that I would just be curious to have answered is, as I understand it, law firms dealing with medical negligence really emerged in this country for the first time ever about a decade ago. How has that changed the, the arena in South Africa? Okay. That's it. Thanks to be so. Thank you. Gentlemen, who wants to take this? Uh, I'm happy or Martin, uh, it's up to you. <laughs> uh, go for it, Lance. Uh, go for it. I'll, I'll ask uh, Martin to come in as well later, uh, after. Yeah. So, so I'll try and be short and then Martin can add. So firstly, in terms of matching the bureaucracy, we have a severe problem with the Health Professions Council. Uh, the Mayotte report from 2015 um, was very clear that the Health Professions Council needed to be fixed. Um, and a lot of that hasn't happened yet. Um, we don't have uh, the right people. There are good people at the Health Professions Council, but they're undercapacitated. So, so what the result is, and this is uh, what then erodes public trust, is that if you have a complication or you have a problem with Lance and you want to report him to the Health Professions Council, it could take five to ten years for you to get an answer. Mm. So, so you might get a letter, but you to get an actual answer. So, so the answer is that that has to be fixed. And is it a hopeless task? I think with political will, and because the Health Professions Council is uh, appointed by the Minister of Health um, and all the boards, um, I think if there's political will, uh, health professions themselves, the societies, uh, the Federation of South African Surgeons and all their societies, SAFA and others, and SAMA, we would give a lot of time and effort, even on a voluntary basis, to help fix the problems. Because if you don't have timely sanction or timely inquiry, then the public loses faith in the regulator, and then they have to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Where do they go? They have to go to the courts. So maybe that's going to the next point, medical negligence. Um, it's interesting. In the public sector, uh, professionals, health, health workers are all, in inverted commas, protected by the state liability bill. So any problem you have with a public sector hospital health worker is, refer- is basically a, an action against the state. In the private sector, we are individuals and we then have to get insurance. And uh, in that space, there is civil litigation. Um, but for the vast majority of litigation, it's civil. In other words, it goes through civil courts and not criminal courts. Not to say that there's never a, a requirement to go to criminal court, but that, as, I'm, as we're saying, should really be a reckless negligence um, undertaking rather than other, other kinds of negligence. Uh, Martin? Yeah, I think Lance has covered it quite nicely. But what I would like to add is um, it's not whether it's worthwhile. It's absolutely essential to have an efficient regulator. The role of a regulator is actually to protect the interests of the public as well as the profession of whatever that regulator is. But it's really there to, to protect the interests of the public. And if, if without that regulator, we're seeing increased litigation. The problem with increased litigation is that matters get settled and most of the matters are settled out of court. And there's no real change to, to the profession. So, for example, if you're going to sue a doctor for whatever misadventure happened and the insurance then decides to settle outside of court, Nothing changes. 
the process that maybe resulted in the misadventure or, or the morbidity is not actually identified and nothing has changed. Whereas if you have an inquiry, medical experts go with a fine tooth comb through the whole case and various areas are picked up usually which are problems and can then actually be rectified so that there actually is improvement um, in healthcare in that scenario. So for me, it's, 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 it's not really a question of it worthwhile. It's absolutely essential, and that's something that needs to be recognized. It needs to be recognized by the public, and it needs to be recognized by actually our government and our Minister of Health. Yeah. Um, and that's hopefully where the public will get behind us and, and help us go and get an efficient regulator in our country. Yeah. Why has this problem, Lance, gone on for, for too long, uh, for such a long time? Because you... you among others, you've you've had you know the the pleasure of being saved by a minister who's a medical doctor or ministers who've been medical doctors as well. One would think that uh, they would understand the uh, dynamics around such issues and they will act with a sense of agency, Alans. I can't answer on behalf of the ministers. Um, I, I do know, for example, that the current Minister of Health has been extremely busy with, with, with the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so I can't answer why since the 10th or 18th of March, depending on when, when they got the memoranda, why no action has been taken and why it's been going on for this long. Um, you know, the Health Professions Council, and I think Martin's point is really the, the key, that this is essential. The Health Professions Council's sort of slogan is that they are committed to protecting the public and guiding the professions. And if we don't have an effective regulator, that doesn't happen. And as Martin says, going to civil litigation isn't the answer because Lance might just go back to the same poor practice. So we need to learn and, and, and do that. Why it's happening, why it's continually allowed to fail or, or, or to carry on as it is without being e- efficient and effective um, is still curious to all of us. Yeah. Um, it has to be fixed. It has to be fixed, definitely. So, so Martin, let me go back to the issue of, uh, you know, patience. You know, to, to what extent is, is, is the issue of communication effective on this? Or is it on the basis of a patient-by-patient basis, one-on-one, so to speak? Yeah. Look, there are, there are a few factors there. I mean, doctors all have personalities. So if, if you don't get on with your doctor and you're not able to communicate with them, then you've already identified a problem. You should probably find another doctor that you do get on, on well with. The other side from the doctor's side is when, if you're going to, for example, do a procedure on a patient, you need to work out first of all the various illnesses that the patient has and what their influence would be on the procedure. And then also the procedure itself has what the complications are. And then you have to explain to the patient what are the most likely complications that they're going to face and what the consequences of that could be. Um, but it's impossible to explain every single complication or even mm. predict every single complication. I mean, if you look, for example, at our medication, when you go to, <laughs> to the pharmacy and you get a box of Panado and you look at the complications that you list there, the reason why they do that is because it's on a piece of paper and they're scared of litigation, so they list absolutely everything under the sun, even though they know that 99% of the complications are so rare that it happens in less than 0.5% of patients. Mm, mm, so mm. the problem is really there with communication and again it's two-sided so if a patient needs a procedure but the doctor hasn't explained it satisfactorily they shouldn't sign the consent form for the procedure they should ask more questions 
and they should ask questions of the doctor or they should go for a second opinion. It's always very dangerous going on to the internet and using Google, etc., because you often pick up the horror stories and things like that, and often they're not really accurate. And then on the other side, it's the healthcare professional's job also to inform the patient. And then when something goes wrong, it's really up to the doctor to come out and say, look, this is what's happened, this is why it happened, and this is how we're going to deal with it. And I think that's probably a sticking point as well because many doctors aren't able to do that. And this, yeah. all the communication isn't satisfactory in the, in the eyes of the patient. Mm. Um, and that's really where patients and doctors and clinicians need to communicate better. Yeah. And the problem is with the scenario that we, we are seeing now, it's going to result in less and less communication. Um, so we're going to go the wrong direction here because doctors are going to be scared of if the patient has more and more knowledge that if something actually goes wrong, they're going to turn around and sue them or lay a criminal case against them, etc. Uh, and that's really what our concern is. Yeah, but but Lance, how do I, you know, engage you on 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 something that, as a patient, I know very little about as well? Is another issue, isn't it? So really, that's that's the key why we study for so long and what we should be doing with all our patients is explaining all the things that we you know we firstly take a history from the patient we examine the patient we come to a decision on what is the the likely best treatment that that patient needs whether that is medical uh, tablets or other kinds of therapies or surgery with anesthesia or whatever it is we need to make it, we, we need to be able to explain all of these things as Martin's been talking about in lay people's language to say, you're coming for an operation. These are the things that you can expect and this is what's likely to happen. These are the things that can affect you as complications if we do these procedures and I can even maybe give you some how rare it is. For, so for example, if a patient says to me, I'm worried about dying with an anesthetic. The fact is people can die under anesthetic. We know that. Mm. But what, it, what I can tell you is that a healthy patient who has an anesthetic has a much lower, low, a very much lower chance of dying than driving in their car to and from the hospital. So that maybe puts things in a bit more perspective for the patient because you otherwise wouldn't know. And then it's important as the patient to know what you want to know about your procedure. And you want to know what risks there are. Can I play the piano afterwards, assuming you could play before? Um, you know, all those kind of things, mm. those might be important to you and I wouldn't know as a doctor. So I think that that it's important, as Martin says, that as the patient, you understand that you have rights to to be communicated with and all your questions need to be answered. If you as a patient are not comfortable, you need to find another doctor. If you as a patient can't trust your doctor, you don't feel that you can trust him, you should find someone else. And the same on the reverse side you know a patient also needs to once that trust is established also needs to follow the advice because imagine you're you know you give a person medication to take and they say well i'm not going to take any of it the outcome could be bad just because they didn't take that medication mm-hmm. well gentlemen thank you so much for your for your for your explanation it sounds like a very complicated issue but i hope that uh, um sanity will prevail quite soon so that you find a common uh, you know, approach to all of these issues uh, together with different stakeholders. But yeah, thank you Thanks, so w. much. So thank I think it's so imperative for the, the health asset of our country that we find the solution.
Beautiful. Thank you, Martin, as well for your time. Much appreciated. Yeah, there you go. Talking uh, issues of uh, culpable homicide and and, and the challenges faced by uh, these uh, medical professionals. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.